Welcome to Recovery Uncovered. I'm Adam Clark, recovering heroin addict and alcoholic. For years, my life was consumed by the chaos of addiction, but today I stand before you as a living testament to the possibility of transformation. The goal of this podcast is simple yet powerful, to share the unfiltered stories of addiction. Not to glamorize or sensationalize, we're here to break down the walls of stigma, one story at a time. Recovery Uncovered is more than just a podcast. It's a lifeline for anyone seeking hope, understanding, and the realization that recovery is not only possible, but profoundly beautiful. No matter where you are on your journey, you're not alone. This is Recovery Uncovered. Attention, now arriving at your destination, the last house on the block. Welcome back to episode 10 of Recovery Uncovered. Thanks everybody who's joining us live and those of you listening on podcast platforms as well. I'm joined today by a very special guest and dear friend of mine, Birdie. Um, she's going to uh, kind of give us the breakdown. Y'all know the deal. Uh, experience, strength, and hope. She's going to tell us what happened, what it was like, and what it's like now. Because um, from where I'm sitting, her life has gotten a whole lot better in sobriety than uh, than the stories that I've heard which is kind of hard for me to picture because I've only known Birdie sober. And so, you know, I've never seen the chaos side of, <laughs> of what it used to be like. So uh, I don't know about you guys, but I'm really excited to hear her story. And uh, with that, welcome Birdie. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I've been thinking a lot about this and and all the stuff that I wanted to share. Um. It's so interesting to talk about recovery on a platform this way. I've been so mesmerized by watching what you're doing here and the way you're bringing um, bringing recovery to the people. I love it. I love to see it. It's really Thanks. inspiring. Um, I my name's Birdie. I've been um, in and out, but mostly in recovery for uh, almost 12 years now. Wow. Yeah. It's a long time. Yeah. Uh, it's coming close to half my life. That's wild. Yeah. I wouldn't have it any other way. It's so much better on this side of the street. Life is, you know, even when life is not good, life is so much better today. Oh, Yeah. The, oh, yeah. the drugs and alcohol, you know, I thought oh, they were yeah. a solution, but it just makes it all so much worse. It turns out no. Yeah. Not even a little. Yeah, just like a sort of Band-Aid. You and I are similar in the sense that we both uh, realized that we had problems real young. Yeah. And started trying to recover real young. Mm -hmm. We're both lucky. A hundred percent. I'm so grateful to have... Uh, found paths to recovery um, when I, when I, my freshman year of college, essentially, yeah. I started, that was the first time I, um, I ever attended a 12-step meeting. Um, it was the first time I started talking to a therapist about the problems that I had been having. Um, and, you know, I knew way before I was 21 years old that I had a real problem with alcohol. Mm -hmm. I, um... You know, I grew up in a a weird sort of environment. Uh, I I've I had two pretty profoundly mentally ill parents, mm. and um and my mom and dad divorced when I was in like the third grade, 
Um, and so it was mostly my mom and my little brother and I. Um, and that was hard. I bet. Having, having, a, having a, a really, truly profound, profoundly mentally ill parent can really do some damage. And it can really be affecting of the way that you grow up. Um, so like, uh, I, a lot of pressure was put on me really young to be responsible, to be good, to do good, you Mm -hmm. know, um, as, as perfect on the outside as I possibly could be. And so I always worked really hard. I did great in school. I, um, I, you know, I was, I was an athlete. I grew up doing martial arts and, uh, I tried really hard to, to do good and be good. Um, but I, before I ever started having, you know, addiction issues, I had mental illness issues. Mm. I think that's the case for so many of us. Oh yeah. Before we ever meet a drug or a drink, uh, we meet our brains and Mm -hmm. sometimes that can be a problematic place to be. Well, and as a kid, it's, that doesn't always show on the outside as much. Mm-mm. Like when you're blacking out, you're getting high all the time. Like people see that. But when you're suffering up here and lots of times suffering in silence, it's just like, this is just me. This is normal. This yep. is how everybody else feels. Mm-hmm. Especially like, I mean, I come from the same situation, divorced parents. And it's not that like if I had came to my parents with something that they wouldn't have listened. But I, because of me, not because of them didn't ever feel comfortable talking about the truth of what was going on up here. Yeah. And so I was just going at it alone. I definitely see, um, I see where poverty affected me a lot Mm -hmm. and has affected me a lot my entire life, even, even now. But like, uh, I didn't have access to a lot of the help that I needed as a kid. Uh, I think even if I had been in a situation um, where my parents were getting me help, we couldn't have afforded it. We yeah. like we didn't we didn't have the resources to to get to get me the help that I needed, um, and so we were a stuff it under the rug sort of family, you know. Bury it down um, deep. You keep smiling and doing good in school, and don't tell anybody how sad you are, and mm. and everything's gonna be fine. Yeah. So, um, you know, I tried real hard to be responsible and I did a pretty good job. Um, but I had a bad accident, um, and had to quit training and that's when things really started to go downhill for me. Um, I had found alcohol before that, um, growing up in a, in a, in a martial arts sort of environment, all my friends were dudes. Most of them were a lot older than me. Yeah. And so, you know, it, eighth grade through 11th grade, I had all, all the access I needed to um, the good parties and the older people and the, and the, um, the alcohol and the drugs. And, uh, and then I had that accident and a lot of things changed for me. And, I found very quickly that I was becoming dependent, Mm. especially on alcohol. Um, I was drinking a lot. I think my senior year of high school, I don't recall days not drinking at school. Wow. Like 
a little in the morning just to get me going sometimes. So it progressed like, yeah, rapidly at a young so age. So quickly. Um, so quickly I went from uh, like a party, you know, every other weekend or so to I've got to have some tequila on my way to school mm-hmm. or I am too anxious to cope. Was that accident before your senior year? It was the summer. It was the summer between junior and senior year. And so that's what basically killed martial arts for you, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting. I learned this from a, a trauma therapist when I was going through treatment, and they were talking about basically we have good or bad outlets for mm-hmm. our feelings. And my experience is similar. I, I did Taekwondo at a young age, but then, like, I was super involved in the youth group at church, mm-hmm. and I was really big in band at school, and I was our section leader for several years. And then I, I went to college, and I didn't have church. I didn't have the band. I didn't mm. have any of those good outlets. And then I was introduced to alcohol and marijuana, and it yeah. was like, this works, and this hey. works a lot better than that other stuff Absolutely. worked. And I, w- I was off to the races. Yeah. I I can totally relate. Yeah. Um. At, you know, after that accident, I a lot of things changed for me, and I tried so hard to still keep it together. And senior year, you know, I did okay. I was very involved in school. I still made pretty good grades. Um. You know, I was in student government and theater and 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 uh, tutoring programs and and all kinds of stuff. Um. But I was miserable, mm. and it felt like such a performance every day like a show that I was <laughs> yeah. like a show that I was putting on and then I graduated high school and I went to college and I didn't have any of those um those demands for perfection anymore I didn't have you know I didn't have that oversight I didn't have um there there weren't a lot of restrictions put on me. I had a little too much freedom in high school. However, all of that was, um, how do you say it, contingent on me staying out of trouble. Yeah. And once I didn't have anybody to stay out of trouble for, I was downhill so fast. I You know, I went to a, a private Christian university um, on scholarship and it it worked on a trimester system, not instead of two semesters, you had three trimesters. Oh. And by the second trimester, like I lost my scholarship. I drank my way out of my sorority. Mm. Uh, I was on academic probation. Um, I was on uh, campus probation, which was different. I'd gotten gotten in some trouble for being drunk in a fountain on campus. Uh, which was frowned upon, and makes sense. He, yeah, you know, um, a statue of the Lord in the middle. I was being, <laughs> I was being disrespectful. I, re- I truly was, but <laughs> I was a, I was a drunk eighteen-year-old. You know, yeah, I was an alcoholic eighteen-year-old child with too men, too much freedom, and and uh, some scholarship money in my pocket. And I, uh, as, as, as we do our freshman year of college, I met the love of my life. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he was, uh, an SAE party boy, uh, 
with his own house off campus. Um, and it was downhill so fast. It's crazy how at that age, like, I, I think it's true for most 18-year-olds, but for me especially, like, I thought I was so grown. I was like, I'm an adult. Yes. I just turned 18. Mm-hmm. Yes, I just left high school three months ago, but I'm right. grown. Don't mm-hmm. tell me nothing. I know what I'm doing. I know what I want to do. Like, and now looking back at 30, I'm like, I didn't know shit. N- nothing. That but I, I was so confident. Poor little alcoholic child. Yeah. Yeah, I, w- I was a child. Yeah. So uh, I'm drinking and drugging my way out of everything an 18-year-old could have possibly accomplished for herself at a, at a rapid speed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I start having some health problems. Mm. And it turns out that I have a kidney disease. And I don't know if you know how your kidneys work or what your kidneys do, but being an alcoholic with a kidney disease is not something you want to be. doesn't mix well. It does not mix well. And so I just start getting catastrophically sick. Mm. And I saw some doctors, and they were like, hey, your liver shows... The, the choices of someone twice your age. Wow. And and your kidneys are declining in function, like, rapidly. So maybe, it's just a suggestion, you should not drink any alcohol. And I was like, oh, yeah, sure, bet. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to be, you know, things are not working out so well at school, so I'm just going to, I'm just going to try... To get right. Yeah. Going to try to get it together. Um, And so by this time, uh, I'd flunked out of school. And I moved back to Macomb. My dad had gotten really sick. We found out my dad was dying. Mm. So dad moved to Macomb so that he could be closer to my little brother and I. And um, I moved in with him and began... um, I. I became his full-time caretaker uh, at, like, 19. That's a lot of weight for a 19-year-old to carry. It especially was. Especially one with an alcohol a, problem. A sick, alcoholic yeah. 19-year-old um, with a, a drug-dealing boyfriend. Classic. Don't forget him. The love of my life. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that worked out great, right? He's still uh, around? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know... Crazy enough, I stayed with him for almost six years. Wow. From from 18 to 24. That was a huge portion of my, like, that was my young adulthood. Yeah. I spent in that relationship convincing myself that he was the one. And that none of his behaviors and choices were affecting me and my addiction at yeah. all. He loves me, so he it doesn't matter. Me. Yeah, we're so in love. And, um, so, you know, as you can imagine, things got terrible. I started attending the junior college in my hometown. I was a student full time trying to fix the damage I'd done to my GPA. I feel that. Mm. She still ain't recovered. Yeah. (laughs) I am more, I am more recovered than my GPA still. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, I was working 
two almost full-time jobs and taking care of my dad and drinking myself into oblivion every day mm. just just to get just to get through it all um and then you know i started trying i started trying i would try to go without drinking i would try to you know just smoke pot or or limit myself greatly you know i'm not going to drink until 5 i'm not going to drink uh you know i won't go drink unless i go out with my friends tonight mm-hmm. or um it eventually i got to this embarrassing point where i was moving up that start time every day well now i won't drink until four I'll, I'll, you know it's funny how like noon. that's so normal i'll for try us not to drink in the morning like to set those rules on ourselves yeah Normal people don't have to set rules around their no, drinking. not at all. Yeah, I didn't realize that because I tried all those same things. Like, not until this time, not going to drink this drink, we're only going to drink this. All, all the substitutions, all the rules, and like, only in recovery have I found out that normal people just don't have that problem. Right. They just drink when it's appropriate mm-hmm. and generally not to excess. Yeah. Wild. Wild. I can't fathom. Um, so, you know, it wasn't going well. Yeah. Also, it's worth noting that that boyfriend, uh, was also a bartender and his family business was a very successful liquor store. Ooh. Um, there was always free booze and it's really hard to quit drinking when there's always free booze. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's rough. And, uh. I tried. I went to a few 12-step meetings here and there, but it just wasn't for me. They talked about God a whole lot, and and I could not successfully quit drinking. And it seemed like uh, the catch of being allowed to go to those meetings, you know, was that they kind of expect you to quit drinking. Yeah. And I, no matter what I tried, I just couldn't, <laughs> couldn't, couldn't manage it. Uh, and then uh, I had... I had a a real hard year. You ever had a real hard year? I had a real hard decade. Where a trillion (laughs) terrible things happened at once. Yeah. That was 2016 for me. I had uh, tried to... I'd finished at the junior college, and my dad was so sick, but I decided to try to go to USM, and I was commuting from Macomb to Hattiesburg a lot trying to take care of dad, trying to work, trying to stay sober and failing every day. And things were just terrible. And then in February of that year, my best friend purposefully overdosed and killed herself. Mm. In April of that year, um, I was attacked and very violently sexually assaulted mm. um, in Hattiesburg subsequently like spend some weeks in the hospital and then flunked out of school and then uh in august my dad died jeez one thing after the next and then in november that relationship ended and it it destroyed me yeah your whole world was was destroyed i like you know in recovery you hear people talk about their bottoms and a lot of time it's 
I lost this. And a lot of people's bottoms are their, the consequences of their actions. Mm-hmm. But none of those, none of, none of that stuff on my bottom was stuff that I did. And so it, it was, I felt so defeated. Yeah. I felt so defeated. Um, and I, to be honest, man, I just wanted to die. And I tried. But here I am. Um, I had a really great friend who took me back to 12-step meetings. And it took a long time. A long time of trying and failing. And, you know, we pick up we pick up these chips in 12-step meetings to um, recognize various lengths of sobriety. And the first one you get is a 24-hour chip. It's just to show that you have a desire to, to try. And I, had, I got so many of those. Um, but they told me to keep coming back, and I did. Mm. And slowly and surely, things got a little more manageable. Um, taking the alcohol and the drugs away was a great first step. But, you know, I'm just like I said, I was broken before I ever found those things. You know, we take those things away. We take those drugs and the drink off the, off the plate, but there we are still there. I'm still here. I'm still here. All of my problems are still here. All of my brokenness. And so, you know, a huge part of my recovery is sobriety. But for me, recovery today is, is not just about not putting drugs and alcohol in my body anymore. Um, I'm recovering from all kinds of things, from my trauma, from other issues, from like issues with disordered eating and self-harm and dealing with my mental illness and like working through trauma. And it's a lot. You know, sobriety is a, is a, is a big piece. And I think of it, I heard this, heard this, uh, heard this guy talking once in a meeting about how like it sort of works like an upside down triangle and like sobriety is at the bottom and it's a tiny little pinpoint, but we build everything else on top of that. Mm -hmm. Um, and it expands upwards and outwards and it gets beautiful and it gets better. Um, but if we mess with the tiny little thing at the bottom that's, that we're building on top of, if we mess with that sobriety, like, yeah, it just all comes crumbling. It's down. all gonna come crumbling down. I think that's a pretty common misconception for people who are like, I don't know, sober curious or thinking that they might have a problem. Is that like, if I just remove the drugs and alcohol, my life's gonna get so much better? Yeah. Which I mean, it did, but I, I heard I love that description that you gave. I, you know, I heard somebody else say that like, drugs and alcohol is like putting a band aid on a bullet wound. Yes. Like we remove the band aid. But I still got a hole in my mm-hmm. side. And so, like, then there's all of the work that goes on top of that to, right. to make me well. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I totally thought that, like, all right, we're going to get through these 30 days of treatment. I'm going to be well. I'm going to, everything's going to be great. Everyone's going to know how good I'm doing. I'm super sober. I deserve a job with all the money. I need a wife right now. Yes. And, like, I wasn't ready for <laughs> any of that stuff. 
I barely was responsible enough for the the slightly over minimum wage job that I got when I first got sober. Like, I, I would have if I had gotten all the gifts that I wanted mm. at that point, I would have ruined them all. You know, I, I had to do the work. I just had a very similar conversation with uh, one of my spiritual mentors, and I was talking to her about how I have, I sort of have beef with God right now <laughs> about uh, about my expectations. Mm. And how I think, uh, you know, I had this plan. We all have this plan. I had this plan for myself, you know. And I'm so far from being anywhere close to having any of the things that I had planned. And I was talking to her about that. And she was like, you know, I get that you feel behind. I'm turning 30 this year. And, uh, you know, that's a doozy. It's always a, it's always, gets you in the gut. Yeah. Um, but she was like, yeah, you, you feel behind, but that's because you're, you're living in, in comparison. Uh, and if you looked at just your situation, you would realize that before now you were not ready to be anyone's wife. You were not ready to be someone's mother. You were not responsible enough to own a home. Mm-hmm. You were not responsible enough to have a career. Thank God for sobriety because now I'm ready. And it, you know, it's not happening on my time. It's happening on my higher powers time. Um, but I'm so glad that I got the opportunity to start recovering early so that I didn't ruin those things. Absolutely. So that I don't have a broken marriage and children that I've scarred. Scarred. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, hundred percent. I think. I mean, that those of us who who got lucky enough or blessed enough to to get sober young, like it's easy to look at other people who got sober older, but like, like how did you get the job and the wife and the kids while you were drinking, and overlook the fact that like j- what you just said, like. I would have damaged all that if I had it already where it would have crumbled and fallen apart. And then like I would have a kid who is now a child of divorce, which is what we both are and what neither one of us want our future children to be. And so like at some points it's frustrating because it's like, I want it and I want it now. Are you you not hear me? God, I'm I'm right here. It's really frustrating to want to, you know, there's one thing up it's one thing to want something when my motives maybe aren't so good. But I really don't think there's anything wrong with me as a 30-year-old woman just sort of wanting a husband yeah. and, a, and, a, and a family and some establishment. Absolutely. But I have to, I have to believe personally or else I go a little crazy. Uh, that my higher powers plan and will is better than what I planned. Absolutely. I'm real grateful today uh, that I don't have all the things I wanted and all the things that I planned. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad I didn't, you know, the loss of that really long relationship. I thought it was going to break me. Now looking back, I'm overwhelmed with gratitude yeah that god was doing for me what i couldn't do for myself Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I get that 100%. You know, I, I've had situations like that in my life too where like if some outside force or the other person hadn't chosen to leave, I would have just sat in lukewarm misery pretending that I was happy and that mm-hmm. this is exactly what I wanted. Uh, I mean, it's there's so many great examples of that in my story of God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. I, uh, I It's one of my favorite little era recovery sayings yeah um that you know i heard an old timer say was that you know god doesn't wear a watch but he's always on time Mm. because i'd be looking at my watch and i'm waiting i could get my tambourine out and testify to that one (laughs) that's real good but it it does it hits because you know my my story and and your story shows that like you know we didn't always get what we wanted this was not what i planned (laughs) and given what we needed yeah um you know i've never had to go without um, and even if I thought I was going with it, like I've never died of starvation. I've always had somewhere to sleep. It may not have been the prettiest place to sleep or it may not have been the food that I wanted to eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my needs have been met and, and that's something that was not the case before sobriety. Yeah. It's just a, it's a really beautiful thing. I, um, I, our 12 step recovery literature um, offers some promises uh, that the writers of that literature see manifest when you practice the principles of the 12-step programs. Um, specifically, as you work your way through the steps, um, you you go through a lot of actions and, and house cleaning and righting wrongs. And when you come to the end of that work, um, you see that these promises from our literature have come true in your life. And one of those promises is that we we will no longer fear financial insecurity. Um, now, I struggle with that one because I am still financially insecure. I always have been, and I think part of that is uh, uh, some some generational poverty that is just very hard to overcome. Mm -hmm. But some of it is uh, the fact that I'm an educator and I'm just never going to be very well paid. Um, But today I have less fear than I ever have been, not because the money's there, but because today I'm employable. I'm responsible I can show up on time most of the time. I can <laughs> I can do a good job at just about any job I tried to do. Um, and that's only because of what I've learned in sobriety. That's only because I practice the principles of a program and because I work really hard to stay sober and be the best version of myself. Um, I, I do have financial fears. Um, and I am financially insecure. However, that's one of my favorite promises today because at, at the beginning of recovery, I didn't understand that one. All I saw was that generational stuff that it seems like I'll never be able to, you know, overcome. However, today I know that, like, I can work. I can take care of myself. I may not have all the nice shiny things that I would like, but because I'm sober and recovering, I'm capable of, of taking care of myself today. Mm-hmm. Well, and the cool thing about staying sober for some time is that like 
now we have proof to look back on that. Yeah. Like, I've watched my checking account be overdraft and my credit cards be maxed out in sobriety for no other reason than Adam made dumb decisions mm-hmm. with money. Yeah. And I, I've watched slowly as I've been able to crawl out of that and still working out of some of that. And mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, the there's fear surrounding it, but I also know deep down in my soul that God's got me. Mm-hmm. Like, if I keep practicing these principles... It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. It, it may not be fun. It may not be pretty. It may look like a lot of ramen noodles with hot sauce. Yes. But, like, yeah. I'm going to make it through because I have undeniable proof of the last five-plus years where God carried me through mm-hmm. when I thought that I couldn't make it through. Yeah. And so now... When that fear does crop up, I get to lean back on that. I can sit in fear for a minute, and then I can be like, all right, get your shit together, Adam. Yeah. Snap out of it. Look back. Has God let you down? Mm-hmm. No, he hasn't. <laughs> Is God going to let you down this time? No, I no. don't think so. All right, well, buck up. Get your shit together. Put and your let's big move girl forward. panties on. Yeah, yeah. Put, put your big girl panties on, Adam, and let's go kick today's yeah. ass. Like. And I have to, I have to talk to myself like that sometimes mm-hmm. because I forget, and, and I can, I can get lost in that cycle, and uh, I like to spiral. <coughs> Ooh, you know, when I have something that that's eating my lunch, mm. I like to think about it until the it gets worse. The book says we manufacture our own misery. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm good so at that one. good at that. Mm-hmm. I have lots of practice. Real talented. Yeah, but I, I, I try not to do that, and I try. And, and with time and practice, I've gotten better mm-hmm. at catching the spiral when it's up here before I've spiraled all the, all the way, way to down. the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, For me, a huge part of that today uh, is getting other people involved in that process. 100%. Um, I have mentors. I have a sponsor. I have trusted friends in a community within recovery of people who love me enough to call me out on my shit. Yeah. To be real honest with me. Um, I, I'm i so grateful for that. I have several friends who... Uh, <laughs> it's interesting to have friends who aren't in recovery. Who aren't in a 12-step program. I love he- watching them listen to the way that we speak to one another. I have some girlfriends who are not like us they're not one of us at all they're not in the program they don't they don't have addiction issues uh and they heard me um on a phone call with my sponsor the other day and i had called her to whine essentially if we're being real with one another i called her to whine um and she was busy she called me back later while i was with my friends and i answered it and I was like, I'm just, I was struggling with a work thing. I have been struggling with the same work thing for a while. Uh, and she was like, have you implemented any of the solutions I suggested the last time you complained about this? And my friends were like, <gasps> and I was like, no. And she goes, call me back when you have. And she hung up on me. Mm. And that is very typical for our relationship. But my friends were stunned. <laughs> Too stunned. Mortified. To they were like, you. Uh, sh-. And I was like, no, nah, she's right. I got to do better. 
Yeah. And and today I can today I take that sort of hard ass love mm-hmm. and I let it be the motivator that I need to get out of my get out of myself. Yeah. Well that I mean, that's what it is. Like it's because she loves you and she cares about yeah. you that she's willing to potentially sacrifice your feelings in the moment. Oh, she'll hurt my feelings good. so fast. I have friends who who aren't um like my just friends, not sponsors, just friends mm-hmm. who were that honest with me. Yeah. And I'm so grateful for it. I have so many friends who will tell me in a heartbeat, you're being ungrateful. Or you're not living in the solution right now. Mm-hmm. Or you're choosing to dwell on this. You're choosing to stay stuck. You're making bad choices. Do not call him back. Yeah. Well, thank God for trusted friends who were honest with me today. Mm-hmm. It's one of the best gifts that I've received from recovery. Absolutely. Is real friends who who love me and will do hard things to love me. Yeah. There's something special about about that recovery community that mm-hmm. I, I wish everybody could get to experience because oh, yeah. it, it's such a beautiful thing, and it, it's something that doesn't always come naturally to me. Like when I have friends tell me stuff, my first instinct sometimes is to, oh, it'll be okay. You know, we can do this, this, and this, or it'll get better. And I realize that Usually I need a little tough love mm. and sometimes I need to be willing to give a little tough love. Listen, the easier, softer way is not the best way to love people yeah. sometimes. And it's not easier or softer in the long run. No, it's not helpful. Yeah. It's, it's the not same as drugs and alcohol. Like it's the <coughs> instant fix yeah. without any long-term solution to mm-hmm. it. Um, it just, all right, I'm going to say this to get me out of saying something else uncomfortable, but then like, I'm doing a disservice to to my friend, to somebody I love, if I'm not honest with them about, hey, bro, why don't you do the steps? Why don't mm, you w- yeah. work this program? You see all of these people around you who are living happy, joyous, and free, and you say that you want that, and we're all telling you, if you want what we have, do what we did, yeah. and you're like, nah, bro. Like, no, sometimes you gotta you gotta lay it out to somebody like mm-hmm. that because. Sometimes I need that to be able to hear it. Yeah. You know, I can hear you say like, oh, work the steps, get a sponsor, da, da, And I'm like, okay. Sometimes I'm like, Adam, you're going to drink again. And if you drink again, you're going to die if you don't do this. Yeah. Like that is the fate for us. Hospitals, institutions, or death. Like if you're alcoholic in the way that I am, like those are your options at the end of the road. You may can teeter along for a while. Mm -hmm. You know, one drink doesn't mean I'm straight to the penitentiary. But, like, I never got arrested when I wasn't drinking. And I haven't got arrested since I quit drinking. Yeah. I did get arrested while I was drinking. So, like, the the math is right there in front of me. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. But sometimes I need somebody else to shove it in my face for me to actually be able to see it. I think the most radically impacting conversations I had with people in really early recovery and early sobriety um, were with women in 12-step programs who were like, who were the first people, including doctors, who told me I was going to die. Who told me that like, 
yes, you're 18 and you feel like you're on top of the world and you feel like everything's going to be fine, but you're sick and you're going to die. Thank God. Yeah. Those people were willing, those women were willing to be honest with me. We're willing to like, I was so in denial. I was so convinced that, um, that I was a nice, responsible girl and there was just no way I was an alcoholic. I'm, I made good grades and I did my best and I was like, I'm a good person. I made a lot of terrible choices, Adam, but I'm a, I'm a nice girl. Yeah. And I was just so sure that like alcoholics and drug addicts were violent criminals under bridges with brown paper bags. Mm -hmm. And, and that just couldn't possibly be me. And those women were the first people who were like, it can be you. It is you. Let's look at this checklist of alcoholic qualifiers. And you just tell me how many of them relate to you. There was nothing on that list about living under a bridge. Yeah, I did not like that list. You know what there was? It exposed me. Couldn't keep a healthy relationship. We're prone to miserable depression episodes. Uh, Check, 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 all the way down the list. And by the end of it, I was like, oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah. But the radical honesty of those people, of those women, changed it for me. It was the first time, I, because even my doctors at that point were were very sugarcoaty. Were tr- were were um. I don't know. I I didn't understand the brevity of the problem until those people were honest with me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I had similar circumstances like that. Like when I went into treatment and they did like the 16-panel drug screen and I popped for like 12 things on there and there was only like four or five things that I knew I had been taking. And so that means that there was like six or seven other substances that stuff was cut with or it was mixed or impure or whatever, yada, yada. Um fentanyl being one of them and like the intake nurse was like you're so lucky that you're alive yeah and like I knew I had a problem but I didn't I I I don't know if I didn't know or just like I didn't believe it like I was playing with death yeah you know and it's gotten worse since I've gotten sober like the the fentanyl epidemic is just through the roof like my understanding is there's nothing that's not cut basically on the streets anymore. Um, and I mean, the, the proof that I have is the number of friends I've buried in the last five years yeah. who were in sobriety, went back out for a couple days and never came back, you know? Um, and it, it's scary, but like that, that's the stuff that I needed to hear Yeah, when they told me in rehab that like one in 10 of y'all will make it. Like I needed to hear that. I didn't like it. I didn't like looking around at the the friends that I'd made in those 30 days and and thinking that, you know, a whole lot of us weren't going to be here, but it it ended up being the truth. You know, there was like 40 to 60 something (coughs) guys who were in the the treatment center that I went to at the same time. And, uh, I'm, I'm talked to one of them last year. 
because our sobriety dates are basically the same, mm-hmm. and we were both celebrating five years. Yeah. And it's us two and one other guy who have stayed sober out of, like, 60 people. Jeez. So that's less than one in ten. Um, and, like, <laughs> sometimes it's like, why me? Why, why did I get to be the one? But, you know, I it's, totally get that. It's because I was willing to do the work. And that's not to say anything negative about anybody who didn't, but, like, my rock bottom was bad enough that I was desperate. You know, I, I was searching and reaching out for anybody who knew anything more than me mm. because I'd gotten to the point where I figured out that I didn't know shit about how to fix me. Yeah. I had tried all the ways that, that I thought I could find. I, I think I've shared it on here before, but, like, I remember Googling, like, how to get off of heroin Oh and yeah, it, you have it, talked it about that on here before. I've seen that doesn't episode. Doesn't work great. No. Yeah, it it didn't. It work. turns out no. Yeah, but like I, I had exhausted all my options, mm-hmm. and that's the place that I had to get to because there was nowhere else inward to turn. I could only look outwards for help. Everything inward is what brought me to where I was. Yeah, there was nothing inward to like every. Every, and I don't say that dramatically, every single healthy coping skill I have, I did not learn until I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. Until I, until I started a recovery journey, there was nothing within me that I could use to help myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, uh, there's a chapter in our literature where it says, and and I relate so deeply to this, um, that no amount of willpower or good character or 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 religion or desire to do right or or your goals or ambitions, if you are afflicted with addiction, nothing you have within yourself is going to be enough. Yeah, it doesn't to work. get you out of it. It's not enough. Every bit of my own self will was insufficient every time. And I don't know why why we think that like I we're the ones who got ourselves to those places, right. you know. I thought that I was doing my best or at least trying for most of that time. And it's like, all right, we removed the drugs and alcohol and it's like suddenly I'm supposed to know how to fix my other problems. Like it's crazy. Yeah. It's it's insanity. Um, For me, that's where the rest of my recovery comes in. That's where, like, in-depth work with a therapist and a psychiatrist and, um, and spiritual counsel, not just, like, from within recovery spaces, but, like, spiritually. I'm seeking help. Um I'm seeking help for my outside issues, seeking help for, because I don't have it within me. I don't have the resources. Mm -hmm. But today, I have the willingness to ask for help. And that makes all the difference. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the game changer right there is, you know, being far along enough in, in, in our journeys to realize that, like, I realize that I know very little. Yeah. You know, I, I, I know... I know enough to help carry somebody else through the same way that I was carried through, mm-hmm. but that there is so many more people with vastly more experience than I am who are not only willing, are dying to share their experience. Yeah. Um, and, like, the, it's it's not the same as, you know, when, when we were drinking and using and, like, 
you ask somebody for help on something like that. Mm. There was always an exchange there. Yes. Whether it was money, I'm paying you in pizza and beer to help me move. Like there was never just, I want to help you because I want to help. Even in what felt like friendships. Yeah. Yeah. Like people that I would have called my best friends at the time. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't always pick up the phone when I when I needed them. No, it's it, it was extremely transactional. A hundred percent. It's life-altering today to have friends who don't want a single thing from me but my love. Yeah. That's amazing. It's That's an, changed my an life. incredible experience yeah. to have people who just want to be friends with Adam because they like Adam. Um, and because, not because Adam's I a good person today. To the table. Yeah. yeah. Which is wild. He's worth being friends with. Yeah, that's God did. Uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't me on my own. Yeah. It was you know, it was God and, and other people who were further along in the in the journey than I am. Yeah. Um, which you know, it, it brings me back to what you were saying about like sobriety just being the start. Mm -hmm. You know, like there were so many other pieces of the puzzle that I had to put together. Like, you know, one of the things that our literature talks about is pausing when agitated. Ooh. Not just reacting immediately yeah. to situations That's a huge that one. I can't control. <laughs> That's another thing it taught me is that, you know, from the tip of my nose to the back of my skull is all that I can control. Adam is only in control of Adam. Yeah. Adam can't make Birdie do anything. Adam can't make Danny do anything and vice versa. And so I can control how I react to a situation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I can control my words. Yeah. But that's about it. And so learning to stop instead of just instantly react. And sometimes that pause is, is not just a brief pause. Sometimes no. that's, I need to take a beat. Yeah. I need to get out of the situation. I, I will need call to you call back somebody. tomorrow. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. I need to seek counsel before <laughs> I speak to this person Absolutely. again or before I move forward with this situation. And like that was something that I never had before. It was always just go, 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 go on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. Um and consequences be damned. And I found out today that I don't like consequences. I don't just like, today. You just learned that just today. today. Yeah, <laughs> it took me five and a half years. Um, but I don't. You know, like I, I found out that a lot of the consequences that I've suffered from previously were completely avoidable if I had chosen better action. Uh, and that stings sometimes because it brings me back to what else you said. Like I manufacture my own misery, mm -hmm. but I don't have to anymore. And that's pretty damn great. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to get that bad. It's, it's almost, it's a little wild sometimes when I think about the fact that I get to choose to let it, that, him, whatever, affect me today mm -hmm. I have the power to like remove myself from a situation and and call on external help whether that be from my higher power um the people I trust to guide me my friends whatever um I don't have to live in stuff where I'm miserable today yeah I don't I don't we don't have to sit. In we that don't have anymore. to do that no more. <laughs> yeah, I ain't got a little like that no more. <laughs> it's a whole new world. It really is, though. You know, like it's 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 such a beautiful experience to have known the the depths of darkness from which I came from, mm -hmm. and then to get to experience this life today, 
which is so much better than what I deserve. Yeah. Um, you know, if I got the consequences from all of those actions that I did, like, I would be locked up. I don't like thinking about what I deserve. Yeah. Because mm. it's not it's not great. I'm grateful for grace today. A hundred percent. You know, I'm, I'm grateful for, for a God who uh, doesn't give me what I deserve because it would be an ugly situation. And not just what I deserve, but what I was actively working towards in, yeah. some, in some situations. You know, I had big, big dreams of being like a criminal enterprise drug dealer. Like, I never was really much more than a middleman. <laughs> but I had these aspirations. Me and Will talked about it, of being Al Pacino. Like, yeah. just the bundles of cocaine. That's so funny. The guns and the guards and the girls. Do and you like, see you? You know, I know. I, I do not fit the description. Um, I didn't even fit the description when I was just a lowly middleman, you know, trying to make enough to get my own bag. But, like, it's so funny because that's, that's what I was trying to do. Yeah. Like, I, I remember I was on probation, and my probation ended contingent upon me paying the rest of my fines. And so I didn't have to do the whole year if I paid my fines. Fines are hard to pay when mm-hmm. you're also trying to buy drugs and alcohol. Yes. And mm-hmm. you're trying to buy the stuff that you need to pass the drug test that you're getting every month so yes. that you can continue to do the drugs and alcohol. And I asked this guy how I could make some extra money. And there was an opportunity for me to get into a car that was not mine, loaded with something which I was not going to know what it was, Drive it three hours, pick up another car, and drive back down. Well, it turns out these people are connected to some cartel. And so I almost went through with it. I don't even remember why I didn't. But, like, that was my best thinking. I'm on probation. If I get caught doing any crimes, I'll go to jail. But what I could do is just do one drug run for the cartel, make enough money to pay off my fines, and then I won't be on probation. That was the best I had. Like what? What? It, it it makes no logical sense, and like that's what you said. That's what I was shooting for. You know, I was purposely driving myself down the hill. That's um, an ugly place to be. One time, a a a dear friend of mine. He's kind of like a a sober father figure in my life. Uh, I was sort of popping off at the mouth. And lacking a great deal of humility in telling him what I thought about a situation. And we were standing in a in a in a twelve step room and he said, Your best thinking qualifies you to be here. To be here. Yeah. Right now, talking to me about this. Your best thinking is not gonna get you very far. Mm, bless Sorry you. about my gnarly cough. It's all I right. know that's a killer on the microphone. One of my uh, my, my favorite things that I, I've heard people say is, you know, no one ends up in a twelve step program because they were on a winning on streak. on a winning streak. Yeah, you know, 2016 ended on a very low note for me, and I came into the rooms of recovery so broken and. And just in shambles, us physically sick, emotionally sick, spiritually sick. Um, 
And I'm so grateful today for the way that those people treated me through that process with so much kindness and compassion. Um, I'm grateful to have found people who understood me. Um, I was not receiving any sort of understanding for what I was going through at home. Mm. And my friends were all partying and didn't understand why I was trying to get sober. And so I didn't have any support there. Even when I'm, I told my friends, you know, I explained to my friends how sick I was. They were just like, ah, you'll be fine. Yeah. You'll be fine. And I like, it took me a while to realize that it was different for them. Like they all went through that party phase and, and, and moved on mm -hmm. like people who aren't alcoholics and drug addicts do. And had I continued with my behavior, that would not have been the case for me. Oh yeah. I would be dead. It was just going to get worse. It was just going to get worse. And you know, there were a few relapses where I proved that to myself where I, where I was like, you know, I, I picked up 90 days, my first 90 days. I made it 90 whole days uh, with no alcohol. I never quit using drugs for the record for that 90 days. I just quit drinking. That was enough for me. Yeah. I start. thought surely that was the problem. Um, and I thought, you know, I did it 90 days. I can do some, uh, some, some monitored, scaled back, responsible drinking. Um, and I, I did that twice. Twice, I went to the bar, and I had three drinks, and then I quit. And those were the only two times that I was able to have any sort of control, at all. And after those two times. I went back to the bar, and it was five drinks. And then the night next night, I drank so much I couldn't go home. Mm. And two weeks later, I was like, wait, I, I had a handle on it. Yeah. I was doing okay. I figured it out. What happened? What happened? It just doesn't work like that for people Is like Is that us. I have no control. Yeah. It's not within me. Well, and that's it's one of the hardest things I feel like for people entering or thinking about, you know, getting sober uh, to grasp is, you know, in 12-step programs, the first step talks about I'm powerless over alcohol and my yeah. life's unmanageable or insert whatever substance or addiction you want to put instead of alcohol, but the I'm powerless part. And I think what's, not necessarily explained well in step one or glossed over is that by working the next 11 steps, you get that power back yeah. as long as you don't drink or drug again. Mm -hmm. You know, today I'm not powerless over alcohol. I absolutely have the power of choice to choose to go to the liquor store and get drunk when I go home tonight. But I also know what that leads to for me. Yeah. And it may go good once or twice. I may just have a couple mm -hmm. and smoke a cigar and it'll be real chill. But some switch will get flipped in me and that phenomenon of craving will kick in and I will start to want more. 
and then I'll start pushing that line in the sand out a little bit further. Well, two drinks was okay. Maybe I could try three. We love you to know compromise what? our own boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> that third drink, it, it set pretty well. And you know what? I had dinner earlier, so how about four and five? And, and that then, fifth one was so good, I'll smoke a blunt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I'm on some unknown city on some Martin Luther King Street yeah. buying a bag of dope from somebody that I ain't got no business dealing with. Mm-hmm. And I'm back to square one. And we don't know how we got there. Uh-huh. We, uh, I never, every time it happened, every time I relapsed, I would look back at that escalation and genuinely not have an answer. Mm-hmm. I don't know how we got back here. Yeah. I don't know. I was trying so hard. Every time. And the, the cool <coughs> thing about, you know, ha- having that, that power back through through working the steps or, or however you get to, to your recovery is that, like, when I first got sober, I couldn't necessarily fathom never drinking again. The thought yeah. of having a dry wedding or, all like, all these things sounded so lame because all of my friends drank and used, and those are the people that I wanted to be around. Now, basically, none of my friends drink and use. Most of them are in recovery. Yeah. You know, uh, I have some family who drinks totally non-alcoholically. Um, you know, I've got some friends who drink on occasion, and they manage just fine. They don't lose jobs, destroy relationships. Their cars don't get repoed. Yeah, right. None of that great stuff that I always like to do. Um, but, like, there's no part of me that feels like I'm missing out anymore. When I when I think about like having a wedding without alcohol, like, yo, my friends will get down mm. sober. They will throw that thing in a circle, you know, and like with no hesitation. With no hesitation. Right now. And like we don't need any liquid courage anymore. Nah. Like we get weird. We had people over at my house hanging out till like three AM last night. Stone and it cold was so sober. Fun. Yeah. Laughing our asses off, playing some stupid games, but it was great. And never once was I like, you know what would make this better? Some whiskey or some weed. or And that's something that I could never fathom when I first got sober. Is like, I knew that I needed to be sober, but that the <coughs> desire would completely be gone. That I wouldn't want to get high anymore. That I would never want to drink. That's something that I, I, it's a blessing that I didn't know that I was going to get. You know, for me, those unfathomable things are a little different. I hear what you're saying, but when I first started getting sober, those aren't the things that I thought I'd never be able to live without. I thought, if I quit drinking, I'm never going to be comfortable again. Mm. I'm never, if I quit smoking weed, I'm never going to be relaxed again. I'm never going to feel at ease. I'm never going to be um, my my funny bouncy self in a social situation without my tequila i'm ne- like i'm never going to be okay again yeah that's why i was drinking mm-hmm. was to just to just feel a little quiet to just to just change my feelings and my thoughts a little and it took a long time but those first few moments where i realized i was at ease in a room 
or my legs weren't vibrating uncontrollably. Yeah. The first time I stood in a chair and shook my ass in a Y-paw, uh, stone cold sober. And I realized I'm not scared. I have very little fear of social situations today. I can match the calamity of my life with some internal serenity today. And I never thought I would have those things without, without alcohol. That's so true. You know, I never thought that I would be okay just being Adam. Yeah. And be okay with me no matter what you thought of me or what anybody else thought of me or all of these things. You know, I was one who tried to, to doll up my outside so that you couldn't see my insides. Yeah. Um, you know, I, the, the beauty of being able to look in the mirror and just be okay with Adam is an indescribable gift. Mm. And I, I, it's something that I never thought I would get. I feel that. I've done that. I've done that my whole life. I've always um, had really low self-esteem because of my appearance. Um, and I've always worked so hard to, to be the life of the party. Uh, really take on that funny fat friend thing, you know? Um, and today I feel comfortable enough in myself that I don't have to do that all the time. That every interaction I have with you doesn't need to be a show that I'm putting on to make mm -hmm. you like me. I can settle into the fact that I'm a nice person and and I'm profoundly lovable without trying to give you the razzle-dazzle, you yeah. know? I can just sit here and and... And know with assurance that I'm worth being friends with today. 100%. And I don't have to like. Put on a show. Put on a show. Yeah. You can take the mask off. Yeah. And and people will still like you for you. Which is such a cool feeling. Because I thought I was always going to have to have the mask on. Yeah. Well, when we, when, I don't know about you, but when I'm uh, drinking and using and not doing my best to live in God's will, I could use a mask. Yeah. You don't want to look at this. This is not what you, no, it's not, it's not it. Yeah, it was not a pretty picture for it's me. It's not a pretty picture. Um, Today, low self-esteem be damned, I'm a lot more comfortable with myself, even with what I look like, Um, just because I know what I bring to a table today. I, like, I know, um, what I have to offer, and I know what that's worth. Absolutely, I know. I know the um, the level of use that I can be to my fellows today, which is profound. I wasn't useful to anyone, myself included. Ain't that I was the not. Truth? I was not helpful. I was not uh, reliable. I was not responsible. Today, you know, it baffles me every time I say this. Today, I can be trusted to educate people's children. And I used to be a dog. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, it baffles me. Yeah. That's the gift of sobriety. Yeah. That's the gift of staying sober for an extended period of time is, you know, we, we get those things back. We People trust us. People let us be around their children. They let me hold their baby or... 
have a key to their house. Or yeah. Like, I just had a friend text me before we started asking if I could come check on their dog a couple times this week because their dog just had surgery and yeah. they're both going to be at work and like they're just going to let me in their house while they're both gone. Bro, you should never have done that six years ago because I was going to ransack your medicine cabinet. I was for sure stealing from you. Yeah. yeah. If you had valuables, you better had a, have had them locked down. Because I was going to take them. But today, I, I don't have to live like that. Like, you know, I, I have that trust of, yeah. of people who are around me. And that's something that, that I was never able to experience before sobriety. It's really beautiful. It absolutely is. Well, Bertie, thank you so much for, for coming and, and sharing your story with us today. Um, it's been really cool getting to, to talk more in depth with you about it. I, I learned some things that I, I haven't always known. Uh, which is one of one of my favorite parts about this. You know, yeah. we've been friends for a long time, but it's rare that we have a one-on-one where we can just share our, share our stories. And, and that's something beautiful about recovery too, is just being able to connect with another person yeah. without the mask on uh, and to actually get to know who we are as people. Um, but thank you guys for, for tuning in, everybody who joined us live and, and listening on all the podcast channels. Uh, before we go real quick, I do want to shout out Whiskey and Milk. Uh, as you guys know, I'm always wearing some of our Whiskey and Milk merch. I've got the hoodie on today, the it's Whiskey so and cool. Milk one. Um, it's kind of a if you know, you know thing. You know, it mm-hmm. comes straight from that 12-step literature that we were referencing on on, on this episode. Uh, and if you've read it, some of the stories will stand out. You know, we've got stuff from Whiskey and Milk. We've got stuff from the Jaywalker, the Tomb of the Hampshire Grenadier. Um, and it lets you rep your recovery without necessarily breaking your anonymity. You know, everybody's not going to know what's going on here. But if you know, you're you going to know. know. You can find us at whiskeyandmilk.com. You can find us on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, all under Whiskey and Milk. If you want to check out the full-length podcast with video format, uh, it's under Recovery Uncovered on YouTube, or you can find the audio everywhere podcasts are found. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you guys next week. Attention, now arriving at your destination, the last house on the block.